0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.
1: And I like being very clear about the fact that I don't have any more discipline than anyone else. What I do have, though, what I've cultivated over the years is a stronger ability to be honest with myself about my shortcomings. I've run all the experiments. I've taken on too much. I've overpromised, I have overextended myself, I've swung back with the vengeance in the opposite direction. And then finally I got to a point where it's like, look, I just gotta I gotta be really honest with myself. This has not been a priority. There's a reason for that. So if I delude myself into thinking that I'm gonna all of a sudden start doing X, Y, or Z, then I'm just gonna end up falling short, feeling shameful, coming up with the should phrases and uh and then and then feeling worse about the whole situation.
0: Lookup listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Look Up Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for offering up questions and guest introductions and commenting on the episodes and liking and offering reviews. All of that's super helpful and helps keep me motivated to continue to bring you all of these new episodes and the weekly newsletter, the LookUp Weekly. Today's episode of LookUp is a good one. I really enjoyed this conversation. I actually just sat down with Light Watkins. The author of Knowing Where to Look, incredible book, reminds me of one of my favorites, The Daily Stoic, just in the format of brief anecdotes that Light has collected through his own personal experience and then lessons from other uh, traditions and yoga. And each page offers, you know, an opportunity to reflect on. Uh, your current experience and a bunch of wisdom so it was a great read Uh, and of course i had a ton of questions for light Uh, we spoke about inspiration fear following your curiosity and excitement Uh, light's experience with uh, his fear um, and overcoming that to an extent uh, chatting about dharma and gurus uh, and so much more so it was a really great conversation Light has been a meditation and spiritual teacher for more than 20 years. Uh, He's written two other books, The Inner Gym and Bliss More, and he hosts a weekly podcast about hope called At the End of the Tunnel. In 2018, he became nomadic and now travels the world giving talks on happiness, mindfulness, inspiration, and meditation to sold-out audience. He's been profiled in Time, Vogue, Forbes, People, The New York Times, and Mind Body Green. Uh, and he also has a newsletter called The Daily Doses, which we talk about on this. I first met Light in 2016 uh, when I had moved to Los Angeles um, for the first time from New York after spending five years and my entire life on the East Coast. Um, I was looking for some spiritual guidance and popped into one of his Vedic meditation initiation uh, trainings. Uh, I didn't end up going through with deeper learning on vedic meditation frankly because at the time I couldn't afford um i think it it's around like twelve hundred dollars for new students um but i had i have followed light's work since uh, and his teacher tom Knowles uh, and I find what light has to say to be truly inspirational and I think he's someone that lives um his words walks the walk as well as talks the talk so I think you'll see that in this conversation, and given that, I think that's enough out of me. Uh, I hope that you enjoy this discussion with Light Watkins. All right, Light Watkins, welcome to the Lookup Podcast. Thanks for dealing with uh, all the technical difficulties of, of getting this set up remotely. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, man.
1: I'm happy to be here. Uh, I've been excited about this.
0: Yeah, me too. We've been talking about this for for a while now, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I know you've had had this book in the works. Uh, the book is called Knowing Where to Look, and um, I think you described it in in a way. I, I mentioned it was kind of similar to the Daily Stoic, and then you actually mentioned a, a phrase uh can you share kind of how you would describe knowing where to look as the format of the book at least
1: i can't even remember what did i say now i, I forgot
0: you said like bathroom reading or something yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> the can can reading reading on the can yeah it's, yeah it's something that is it's not it's actually not written to be read straight through cover to cover it's right it's meant it's read it's it's written to be read in spurts, like little one page here, two pages there, and then put it down, go on with your day, and then come back to it maybe a day or two later. Whenever you feel like you need a little, little boost of inspiration or you're at a crossroads and you're trying to figure out, what do I do next? Like, that's what the book is really useful for.
0: Yeah, I love that. And and the reason, you know, I, I think it makes sense, and I mentioned it reminded me of The Daily Stoic because, like, as it it was, it was a new experience for me as a podcast host to read a book like this ahead of an interview, because typically I will, you know, try to read the book cover to cover and then build some questions. And there's like, there's like a, here there's an overarching theme. There's many, you know, important themes and we'll go into them, but there's like a plot line, right. Or like a a storyline that's flowing through in, uh, in other styles of books. And here I was just like, you know what, I'm going to read it as it's meant to be. And just like skip around to different pages and read different anecdotes. And um it was super enjoyable.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah, that, that's exactly the way I envisioned it. And um, and that's why it has that really engaging visual element too, because some of them you have to like turn the book upside down and and yeah. um and really engage with it in that way, which I which is what I feel like these days people don't read as much. Maybe I'm projecting, but I don't know about you, but I've bought countless books that I've started but never finished. And, um, and I didn't want this to be just another one of those books. I really wanted it to be something that people got use out of. And we've all had the experience of going to a bookstore and you see a book, you see a cover that you like or the spine is interesting and you pull it out and you just kind of thumb through it. And maybe you come across a story or an anecdote and that's what compels you to, to buy the book or sit down with it for a little bit longer. And so I wanted this book to be all that <laughs> just like yeah. stories and anecdotes that would make you go wow, I can't put this thing down.
0: And it is, you know, and I think I think that format works for us as you said. It it's become harder and harder to finish books. I mean, I think even finishing like a 20-minute blog post these days is just the attention span, at least my attention span and I imagine others around me, you know, we're used to consuming kind of sound bites. And so, you know, to read like deeply is, is, uh, is a challenge. I think I've even heard like Sam Harris talk about this before and some others, just how they're finding it more difficult to, to pay attention for longer periods of time. But I found the book to be really, um, really helpful. And, you know, one, I I kind of, I'm reminded of like other, other mediums, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of intellectual folks that would, that would, um, hate on tarot cards, tarot cards. And I'm not saying that the book was tarot card, but in a way like flipping to a page at random and finding a story. Um, and in reading that story, that little anecdote, it offers a reflection um, based on like exactly where you're at at that time. Right. So I may read that story today and it somehow winds up in the context of my present kind of problems, opportunities, et cetera. Um, In the same way that like, I like tarot because whether you believe or not that the card that you're pulling is, you know, is in any way tied to some kind of energetic connection, you know, to the deck or whatever, it offers an opportunity for reflection. Right. And I think that's kind of what you've provided with, with knowing where to look is, is an opportunity to reflect. In the same way I mentioned the Daily Stoic, which is one of my favorite all time, because every single day I get to meditate on a quote from one of these Stoics, or every single day I get to meditate on now on one of your stories that you share. So I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, man, it's, uh, it was a, it was a labor of love took, took several years to compile all of these (laughs) and just to kind of go in the backstory for your, your listeners, um, I, I've been writing a daily dose of inspiration email every day for the last since Ju- since June sixth, two thousand sixteen. Wow. And uh and so you daily. know obviously daily, every day. And obviously some of them will get more feedback than others. Right? You can't hit it out of the home out of the park every single day, but you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know how so it is. it's
1: so what what this is is a compilation of of sort of the home runs, the greatest hits, the ones that everyone really had a positive uh experience with. And so this book is full of like really powerful stories and anecdotes. Some of them are my own personal stories. In fact, most of them are my own personal stories, but then a lot of them are uh, classic stories that have been told in yoga classes and meditation circles for time immemorial. So it's been fun to kind of put all this into my own words and put it all together and curate it in a way that feels kind of, uh, spontaneous. Hold on a second. That, that, uh, that truck, that junk truck, is coming around. Oh
0: yeah, <laughs> I love that in Mexico City. That's, the best thing.
1: That's part of it. That's, yeah. That's not part of it.
0: <laughs> as long as you don't mind, the listeners know where you, where you are. I mean, the background noise is it, it's it's real. I, um,
1: yeah. <laughs> I
0: um, this is great. This is actually a really good place to start because I uh, I, I write a weekly newsletter. Look and up. sometimes it look up. Yeah. And sometimes it becomes a uh, twice monthly newsletter. And, you know, I just can't imagine uh, the discipline required to write a daily newsletter, a daily snippet. And, um, you know, you actually have a, a, a section or, you know, a page or two in your book dedicated to this kind of concept of the discipline illusion. Mm. um, do you, do you mind kind of sharing a bit more about that, listeners?
1: Yeah, man, because um, a lot of times people will hear that, oh, Light, you meditate every day. You don't drink alcohol. You, you know, have a healthy diet. You exercise. You write books. You have a pot. Like, all the things that I'm doing, and they look at that as, oh, this guy must have a lot of discipline. And I like being very clear about the fact that I don't have any more discipline than anyone else. <laughs> what I do have, though, what I've cultivated over the years is a stronger ability to be honest with myself about my shortcomings, right? Because I've, I've run all the experiments. I've taken on too much. I've overpromised. I have overextended myself. I've swung back with the vengeance in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I got to a point where it's like, look, I just got to gotta be really honest with myself. This has not been a priority. There's a reason for that. So if I delude myself into thinking that I'm gonna all of a sudden start, you know, doing X, Y, or Z, then I'm just gonna end up falling short, feeling shameful, coming up with the should phrases and mm-hmm. uh and then and then feeling worse about the whole situation. So, you know, taking it one area at a time, like let's say, for instance, I want to stop eating processed foods, right? It's like, I like processed foods as much as a lot of other people do. I like sugar. I like honey. I like all those things. Um, but they don't always align with my health goals. So what I've learned or observed over the years is look, the times when I get the most junk food or food that I don't want to be eating is when I go to the grocery store hungry. So let me just not go to the grocery store hungry. Right. Yeah. Let me let me agree to pull over and get any kind of meal. In fact, if I get a meal that's not that great for me, I'll end up going to the grocery store getting all lettuce and carrots and all kinds (laughs) of stuff. So that's a nice little hack. Right. Whereas if you go to the store starving, all you get are chips and, you know, all the like short term stuff because you're just you're hungry. You're shopping with your eyes and not with your uh, your goals, your health goals. So that's one little hack, right? And then when it came to writing my first book, it was a process that it was self-published book, So no one was, I didn't have an editor like cracking the whip or anything. Um, So it it was like dragging on three years, four years. And finally, I just got so tired of thinking about it and stopping and starting and feeling like it wasn't ready and rewriting the outline. and, And I just... I I pulled out a sheet of paper one day and I wrote out a contract to a good friend of mine. And the agreement in the contract was, I am going to finish this book. I'm going to have it ready to submit to the uh, self-publishing company by such and such date. And that date was specific. It was three months from the date I was writing the contract. And if I do not have it completed by this date, then... You, my friend, are obligated to take this check that I'm going to include in the contract, which was a check for $4,000 from my personal checking account, which is more money than I could afford to lose at the time. You are obligated to cash this check and spend the money on whatever you want to spend it on. And no matter what I say, you have to do it. And I had him sign it. I signed it. And once that happened, all the excuses went out the window, all this time freed up. And I dedicated myself <laughs> to finishing the book. It was a miraculous. And I think I finished it a week early. And, uh, and I just, you know, the problem was not that I had writer's block or any of that. The problem was I didn't have any skin in the game. And I, I, I my commit, commitment was not solidified anywhere and I had nothing to lose if I didn't go through with it. So once I checked all those boxes, I got the thing out, no problem, right? And so it's just little things like that that, uh, that I think people confuse with discipline, but it's really just being honest with yourself and then putting stop gaps in place so that you, you're, you're in the best possible position to be successful at whatever, whatever you want to be successful at. Have you ever missed
0: a day writing a newsletter? No, I have not. So I, I like- was
1: petrified in the beginning One of the reasons why I dragged my feet with that for like a It's incredible, by the way. Is I, I was petrified that I was gonna miss a day or I was gonna get sick or you know, all these things, all the worst case scenarios, which again, it's it's so easy to focus on the worst case scenarios because that's what we're so used to giving our attention to when we have these, these ideas of doing, of getting out of our comfort zone, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I just looked at it as I, I was just trusting, honestly, I I had an intuition that I should start doing it. And I guess some people will call it following your heart. And I'd been following Seth Godin for, you know, Seth Godin has been writing daily for seven or eight years longer for probably at this point. Mm-hmm. But at that point it was like seven or eight years. And I just said, you know what, I'm just going to tr- do it. And then sure enough, after like a month, my worst fears all came true. Like I ran out of stories. I had nothing else to say. I literally would sit at my laptop and, um, and would just strain to try to find something to write. And then something really interesting happened that I wasn't expecting. The ideas started just coming through me kind of like how Stephen Pressfield talks about the muse and Elizabeth Gilbert talks about the muse giving you ideas. That started happening to me. And I realized it was happening because I kept showing up. And so I, I transitioned from a writer with an idea that I wanted to share to a transcriber of ideas that were coming through me. And my job was just to make sure that the grammar was correct and the spelling was correct, but the, the 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 root of the ideas were were much of the time given to me, and uh, and so after that, I was able to kind of settle in and relax a little more, and then and then I found once I started relaxing more, more ideas would come through, because I was tense and anxious at first, so only a few ideas could come through, but the more relaxed I was, the more I trusted in that process, and so I I feel like. Yes. It sounds like a pretty big deal doing something daily for that long, but it it wasn't, you know, it's like somebody goes to the gym for five years. The first few weeks are going to be challenging, but after you get the habit down, it's just another thing you do and it's not that big of a deal at all.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, for me, I've, you know, I've missed days. I'm only doing weekly. Um, and You know, on the opposite side of that spectrum, when I do miss days, like I'm just like, okay, like, you know, the only person that is really kind of gonna, you know, not notice, but like be like angry or upset about it is gonna be me, you know? And so like on the flip side of that, when when kind of this discipline is broken, I also am like for me, like my work is finding that compassion to be like, all right, you missed a day, like that's okay. You know, like next, cause otherwise like I could end up in a place where it's like, I missed a day. Then it's like, Oh, I already missed one. Like I should do like, you know, I've already failed. And then the next week, like, ah, don't worry about it. And then if I do that, and then it's like third week and then I'm not not writing at all. Right. And so like, I've even gone in periods where I missed like two, three weeks and just like back on the horse, you know, like start writing again. Um,
1: and it's not how many times you quit is how many times you start back again. That's the most important number.
0: Yeah. And it, 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 that's awesome. And it, it feels good. You know, it feels really good to be like, okay, I wrote this again, you know, like it doesn't matter. Um, so consistency is important, you know, discipline and, and habit forming is important. And then on the flip side for me, I think like, you know, that ahimsa, um, that compassion for, you know, for self is also, um, important. I, I, I love the idea of kind of like the ideas, Moving through you, you mentioned. I think did you say Stephen Kotler? Was that Stephen you?
1: Pressfield? Press who Pressfield. wrote the War of Art? Yeah.
0: Okay. Ah, uh, yeah, the War of Art. Okay, I have to read yeah. that. Stephen Pressfield. I'm going to put put a note for listeners. Um, so, you know, you you are trained in transcendental meditation uh, or TM, and you train others, or in the past you trained others in transcendental meditation. Are you still? offering, um, guidance in that, in that work? Well, when the pandemic started,
1: I stopped teaching meditation because I I had only been teaching live trainings. Um, (laughs) and so now that things are opening back up again, I'll probably resume to teaching live trainings and retreats. I just don't know exactly how or when or where, because all of the venues that I was using have closed (laughs) during the, pandemic. (laughs) but you know, I'll figure it out. It's all fine. I mean,
0: when when I went, you know, actually, I think that's the first time we met. I went to one of your TM trainings, mm-hmm. and I guess was it TM or Vedic? It was it was Vedic I, at that point.
1: Yeah, Vedic Vedic meditation. Vedic yeah.
0: meditation. Okay, so mm-hmm. it's not transcendental meditation; it's Vedic meditation. But it was, I think, at your apartment, even. Yeah. Um. Yeah. In in Venice, um, mm-hmm. or Mar Vista, and mm-hmm. that was that was a great experience, and I mm-hmm. appreciate appreciate that time. The reason I actually bring up Vedic, um, which is like I guess a sister practice to TM, in this context is because another um, author who wrote a book with many different anecdotes um, is uh, well, of course now I'm blanking on his name. The director of um, David
1: David Lynch. David uh, Lynch catching the, the big David fish.
0: Catching the big fish. Yes, thank yeah. you so much for, for yeah. remembering that. I was I had lost it.
1: It's one of my but, favorite books.
0: So he talks about this, right? Like catching the big fish is like the ideas are kind of flowing through the water, right? Like the ether. And we're just picking them up, you mm-hmm. know, with our antenna or our fishing rod. Um, do you think that's, that's the way that ideas work?
1: I do. Yeah, that's been my direct experience as well, which is why I, I connect with his book so much. Because it was a really great way to illustrate how the process of meditation works, you know, and the, and the importance of what he says, going deep into the ocean, right? So going deep within yourself through your practice gives you access to the biggest, rawest, ripest ideas, the ones that other people who are only able to serve to, to fish at the surface are able to, um, to catch. And so you end up with situations where, you know, taking Hollywood, for instance, where three studios all want to do an asteroid movie or, You know, everyone seems to have the same kind of approach to things. And really only the people who are able to access those deeper realms, you know, you end up becoming like Christopher Nolan or, you know, or David Lynch. And you end up having these really unique concepts that may be ahead of their time to some extent. Right. Which and then if that's the case, you have to have an inner security to move forward with it anyway, because a lot of people aren't going to necessarily uh, see your vision at the time that you see it.
0: Do you think that going deep in your meditation practice um, was something that empowered you to become that vessel of ideas for your daily writing?
1: I couldn't have done it without meditation. In fact, many, many nights I would, if I felt out of ideas and nothing was coming, not even from the muse, I would just close my eyes and meditate for five or 10 minutes. And then inevitably something would come through. It's not that it would, necessarily, it would come through during the meditation. I wasn't meditating on anything specifically. I was just kind of unplugging for a second just like with your phone if you unplug it you know if something's wrong chances are unplugging it resetting it will cause it to work again and so uh, I I like to use meditation in that way as well just to restore the factory settings to my (laughs) thoughts and uh, and then (laughs) move forward
0: yeah I've been I've been slacking so hard on on my meditation practice it's been it's it's all but it's all but here it's like mostly gone it's actually quite sad to think about but back on the horse you know as you Mm -hmm. said it's uh it's more important the number of times you get back on Mm -hmm. i um you opened the book in in this discussion of inspiration Mm -hmm. which i think ties in with um the muse and ties in with ideas flowing through you and being a conduit. Um, what does inspiration mean to you?
1: You know, inspiration is one of those words, and I talk about this in the book, it's, it can be a little hard to define um, because we all have our own relationship with it. But I would say most commonly what inspiration is, is a feeling that you have that in, that nudges you to explore a certain thing or direction or, um, you know, some it invokes curiosity in something. And one of the examples that I like to use, because it's something that I think we can all relate to, is when you get on an elevator and... We say there's two, uh, one or two other people on this elevator. Normally, what people do on the elevator is they stare up at the numbers, or they stare down at the floor. Right? There's very little engagement usually, especially in places like New York, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or you know, busy urban places where people acknowledge one another. But let's say you're staring down at the floor and you notice the person riding the elevator with you has some very groovy shoes, you know, and it just makes yeah. you feel like, wow, those are really, really cool. And you have this urge to tell them that the, I really love those shoes that you chose today. Or maybe it's a purse or a dress or a hairstyle or earrings or whatever or tie. Right. And When we have that urge, we oftentimes talk ourselves out of it because we don't want to come off as creepy or weird or strange or, you know, all these other stories we make up in our mind about how we're going to be perceived. But that's a moment where you're experiencing the inner voice of inspiration. And here's how you know it's inspiration. There's some excitement or curiosity associated with it, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you want to know where they got it from or, you know, a little bit of the backstory. And then there's also some fear because you don't know what's going to happen once you put yourself out there And, and, and you have to get out of your comfort zone in order to really explore the inspiration. So I tell people when that happens, to go with it as much as you can, you know. Go with it in the small times, giving someone a compliment. Like I was in a place today where I had this amazing breakfast, down here in Mexico City, and I passed by the chef, the person who organizes all the food. And I was thinking, I was just just telling my friend I had, a, you know, how wonderful I thought the food was. And I was passing by the chef, and she was talking to somebody else, and so she wasn't really. You know, she seemed busy. And I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna tell her because I'm sure she would love to hear how the food is at her place. And I just tapped her on the shoulder and she turned around and I said, I just I just wanted to say, your food is amazing, it was incredible. And I described it to her and she was so into it. You know, she was so, so into it. And um and so that was again a small opportunity to go with the voice of inspiration, right? So you do that a thousand times within a year, which is not hard to do. You could do that five times a day and you've done it a thousand times average, right? And then you find that you're doing that with bigger and bigger things because you're now listening to the voice of inspiration inside. Remember there's excitement or curiosity, and then there's a little bit of fear or a lot of fear about getting out of your comfort zone, putting yourself out there. So those are the two criteria. So you keep, Taking the small leaps and leaps and leaps. And then next thing you know, you're selling off all your stuff. You're becoming nomadic. You're leaving the dead end <laughs> job. You're getting out of a relationship that's no longer fulfilling, or you're getting into a committed relationship, whereas you've been single for a long time. Like you're doing something massive that really challenges you, or that people perceive would challenge you. But for you, it's just like an extension of what you've already been doing. And that coupled with your inner work, your meditation, your gratitude exercises, your journaling, your going out into nature, you know, all of those things add up and they have, it's like investing in crypto. There's a cumulative effect. If you leave it in the market for a long enough time, it's going to build and it's going to become, um, very, very potent, later down you know a few years from now because you've been you've been uh you've been practicing it how did it
0: feel like what did you feel right before you turned and tapped the chef on the shoulder you know kind of probably positioned your body in a way that was you know engaged how did like what what feelings arose You know, for me, when I think of doing something like that, I imagine like some some anxiety, you know, and I find it kind of interesting to think about why, like, sometimes for me personally, I can't speak to everyone like, you know, issuing a compliment, giving a compliment to someone to a stranger saying something nice would feel there'd be fear associated with that, right? Because it seems like just something that everyone would want to hear if it's genuine, you know, especially if it's tied to like, you know, something that they are proud of or their work or that they do. Um, so it's a yeah. multi-part question.
1: No, the fear, the fear is going to be there if you're not used to doing it. So the idea is to get used to doing it. So to answer your first question, what did I feel? I, I didn't really feel much of anything because I, I do that all the time. I'm always yeah. giving people compliments, but that's because I'm practiced at it. Right. It's kind of like if you walk into a gym, you've never worked out before and you see a pull up bar. In your mind, you may think, oh, I, I want to do 10 pull-ups. But you jump up there and you've never done one. So you've never really worked your arm strength. You won't even be able to do one, right? The, the proposition of doing 10 is like, I'm, I'm going to die trying to do this. But if you're in there every day doing pull up pull-ups, pull-ups, you can jump up without even thinking about it and do 10 pull-ups. And, 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 and so inspiration is kind of like, it's like that. If you act upon it on a regular enough basis, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, bigger things like, you know, if it was like, uh, like I had a friend of mine who went up to Jay-Z at the Mm -hmm. Soho house because he wanted to offer um, Jay-Z this this bracelet that he makes. And what's interesting is, okay, so in that environment, you're not supposed to go up to people you don't know. You also may think in the back of your mind, well, Jay-Z, everybody goes up to Jay-Z, so I'm not going to be that guy going up to him in this place with all these really important people, you know, watching. I could, I could potentially cause a whole scene and get thrown out. So there's that fear of rejection. Um, and I don't know if I would have had the balls to go up to Jay-Z in that kind of situation. But my friend was like genuinely wanting to give him something that he thought would be appreciated by by him. And uh, and he went up to him and it it ends up Jay-Z invited this guy to come to his annual Grammys brunch and do give bracelets to his his celebrity friends. So he goes to this brunch. He's giving bracelets to Kanye, to Rihanna, to, (laughs) you know, Beyonce. I mean, you name it. They're all there. And then and then this guy who's got this bracelet company with with like positive affirmations on it. You you've, you didn't, you know my intent.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is this is okay. This is okay. this is the
1: guy. Yeah. So
0: I'm blanking on his he, name, but
1: I'm Chris Pan, Chris well. Pan. So he goes to Bali because his company is not doing that well. Um they're not getting a lot of orders for bracelets. And he's thinking about shutting the whole thing down. And uh and then he gets this alert on his phone saying that they the sales have shot up like a thousandfold and he checks his social media he's been tagged in these posts Kanye West is on the cover of Time magazine with his bracelet
0: no showing on the cover
1: <laughs> Kanye That's wanted amazing. to have the bracelet in the cover the bracelet that he got at the Grammys bunch that he would not have been at 100% guaranteed he would not been there had he I not didn't. Had he all not gone with the inspiration to go up to Jay-Z, right? Now, again, that's an extreme, a more extreme case than complimenting someone's shoes in the in the elevator, but it's the same principle, right? Mm-hmm. There's excitement, there's curiosity, there's fear. And then at some point we have to overcome that. And I feel like we're all sort of grappling with those kinds of decisions on a day-to-day basis and it's our heart that's our internal gps that's keeping us on track to our purpose our passion our our destiny and but but the the it's not like your car gps where it this turn right here because turning right there is usually going to take you off the beaten path it's going to take you off of your eye and that's where we ultimately want to be because that's Where we've been conditioned to be is in our comfort zone. So, a large part of this book is really about helping people navigate their internal GPS and not feel the fear of leaving their comfort zone. And that's why it's called Knowing Where to Look, because it's not the answer to whatever your dilemma is, is usually not in your comfort zone. You have to look outside of that. And if you can do that enough times, then you can normalize following inspiration, and then doing things like that, taking those leaps of faith. It's just not that big of a deal to you anymore.
0: Most people
1: are able to
0: kind of only first tap into their inspiration after some kind of loss or major shift in their lives. You mentioned this in the book.
1: What was the first word there after some kind of what?
0: Out after after, lo- after a loss, a loss, you know, like a breakup or you yeah. get fired from work, you know, yeah. and, that, and then it's like, okay, now I'll, you know, find my purpose or tap my inter- inspiration. Like all of a sudden, they're attuned to that voice. That
1: yeah, those know, moments used. are beautiful, man, because that's where we we see our true identity, right? So let's say you were working at a firm and you had a wonderful sounding title and you were let go from that firm. So you no longer have that title. So now you have to ask yourself, who am I, All right? I was identifying so much as the vice president of such and such or the manager of such and such or the coach of this or that. And now I'm just John Smith, right? So who is John Smith? And so those kinds of, of losses, they cause us to really go within ourselves and 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 ask ourselves, who am I? And again, we can't leave out the the meditative component because that's important too that's going to give you your best answers about who you are what a lot of people do is they try to escape that that sense of reflection or loneliness through alcohol or through you know recreational drugs they try to numb that pain but that pain it's like what Rumi said you know the answer to the pain is in the pain you got to go through the pain in order to find The answer of who am I? And this is a question that's been asked by humans since the dawn of time. And in India, where they first developed systems related to that sort of Eastern philosophy of everything is connected, you know, they have this concept of self-realization. And what that means is you are able to to understand who you truly are beyond your individual Facts of what your name is and where you're, you grew up and all of that like that. In other words, the, the soul essence of who you are, which is a lot bigger than your your individuality. And uh, and so that's the basis of yoga and meditation is it's not just enough. It's not enough to just understand intellectually that you have a soul or you have a spirit. You have to feel it. You ha- it has to be integrated into your your life. And once it is, then you you are informed by your connection to that aspect of yourself when you're you're making choices and when you're making decisions about what to do next in your life. So then somebody who has a spiritual connection may think to themselves, well, I'm not going to take another job just to get a title. I'm going to do something that I feel passionate about right? That's a telltale sign of someone who's connected to their, their spiritual core.
0: Would you say that, um, inspiration in, you know, following this, you know, um, the signs and signals that you reference, kind of your, your curiosity when there's curiosity, excitement, and then also fear, is that, is that Dharma? I know you're a student of, you know, of yoga as well. Would you, would you, Use that to describe your dharma, your inspiration. Are those one and the same, or do you view them as kind of
1: different? I think inspiration can steer you to your dharma. If we're, if we're defining dharma by a path, a certain path that is that, is, that lights up your heart, I think inspiration is, I think it's literally like, it's like a GPS. It's like the prompts from your GPS, right? Turn left, turn right. Like that's what the inspiration is, but it's, but it's not necessarily the destination. It's just guiding you to that destination. And so the Dharma, the Dharmic path would be the entire journey from point A to point B, right? So you can't discount the challenges and the hardships and, having to climb the mountain and having to survive the valley. Cause that's all a part of preparing us for whatever the next stage along our path is. And so you may be inspired to do something that is incredibly challenging for you, or that is incredibly scary, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember, uh, taking a scuba diving course in East Africa, um, off the coast of Tanzania. And, uh, and I did this because I have been petrified of the ocean for my entire adult life up until that point. Oh, wow. And I figure I figure one way to overcome that fear is just to face the fear fully and go into the ocean. What are you what are you
0: afraid of with the ocean? Is it sharks? Is it Yeah, just it like
1: watching Jaws once one too many yeah. times as a kid. And it was yeah. a completely irrational fear. I knew it was an irrational fear. No, but right? you
0: can go in the ocean, and your heart can just start pounding, like something's yeah. going to get yeah. you. You know, like, and, you're and, not... and
1: the, the irony is, you probably make yourself more of a target by being afraid swimming around because yeah. <laughs> <'cause it's like, laughs> all those all those marine animals can sense those vibrations, right, and those frequencies. Yeah. and it's like, oh, some animal in distress. I'm gonna go get. Let me go see what that's about. Yeah. So <laughs> So yeah, I wanted to have that experience, man. And uh and the irony is that I ended up being the only person on the course, which I was bummed out about because I feel like at least if there's like 10 of us, the chances of me getting attacked by a shark <laughs> cut down significantly. You're trying to trade <laughs> the odds with the others. Nice. Yeah. And uh and then normally you train in a pool. But there was no pool in off the coast of Tanzania. So I got trained in the ocean, in the Indian ocean by myself. Mm -hmm. And part of the training is you have to float in water alone for up to five or 10 minutes. And that was like, that was like the scariest thing I ever felt like I ever was going to do. Like the night before I couldn't even sleep because I was, petrified by floating in the, just being bait for the sharks for like five or 10 minutes. And I didn't even know if I could float for that long. Cause I'd never really had proper swimming training at that point. And so, you know, it was incredibly challenging and anxiety inducing and everything, but I was also excited about the proposition of, of moving past that fear. And then, um, and then anyway, I got through all of that. It was great. It was fine. And, I felt great about it afterward. And then that led to me taking some more serious swimming classes. And now I'm like a great swimmer, you know, but I had to get through that point in order to prepare me mentally to take the classes and do all the other things that, uh, that I ended up doing later on. And now I have a great appreciation. I'm not fully over my fear of sharks, but I, it doesn't stop me anymore from going into the ocean like it did in the past.
0: Yeah. That's a beautiful story. And I think, you know, we, I don't know if we ever really get over fear you know like I've been terrified of finger prick blood tests since I, I can remember you know like those are just like a nightmare for me and I thought I had COVID in November and like I had to get the antibody test and nurse came to the apartment to like get it done because I was isolating wasn't sure if I still had it, and like I mean really, really nice lady. Like she, I had like set up like a, like a Zen, like area for myself to like get the finger prick and like was playing music and like lit an incense. It was like, all right, we're going to get over this. And, and uh, you know, like I almost I like took my hand away like 10 times, almost cried like in front of this. Maybe I think I did cry in front of this lady, like I'm a 33 <laughs> year old man crying about a finger prick blood test. Cause it's just this fear that I built up over time. And then it happened. I finally get, she's like, I can just go. I'm just going to go. And I'm like, no, 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 you're taking my, we're doing this. And I like, you're my hand. She did. And I was like, wait, she's like, done. I'm like, wait, what? That was it. Like, I didn't feel a thing, you know? And, uh, and like, I was like, I'm over this. I'm over it. And, and I actually got COVID again in March <laughs> and I didn't take the prick blood test because I'm still scared of it. <laughs> wait, so you've had COVID <laughs> so twice? So it's still there. Well, I don't, I, it turns out I didn't have antibodies, um, that first time and it, I probably got a false negative PCR test. Mm. So I like, I isolated myself for 10 days with the negative PCR and you know, so then I really got COVID in March. Like I'm certain that I had it cause it, it hurt. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, and point being like, you know, I will do it again if I have to, but like the fear, the fear doesn't necessarily just disappear, at least in my opinion. I don't know if it ever right. just like disappears. Um, maybe, I don't believe you know, it does. I or, think
1: you just we just have to have the courage get a little bit stronger than the fear. Um, and that's what inspiration does. Is It just it, inspiration makes you say, here, take my finger. I know I'm crying. I know this is the 10th time, but just do
0: it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's that's what I did. I I, 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 um, you know, it sounds like like based on on the book and kind of the story that you open with, you know, you're a 22 year old following his inspiration and traveling to to Paris and I, you know, it's, it's a great story. I'm actually not going to ruin it for, for, uh, for those listeners. I think if you get the book, you'll enjoy the opening. Um, but like, has there ever been a period in your life where you did not follow your inspiration where perhaps you were like, I actually need like a material thing. I actually need, you know, to, to get my grounding. Um, I'm not feeling inspired right now, but like the rational, you allowed the rational kind of like, Uh, thinking mind to take over your experience
1: yes I was um I was living in Los Angeles in 2005 2006 and everybody was flipping houses and I was like oh man I want to get in on this you know I was teaching Mm -hmm. yoga at the time I was probably making like eight nine hundred dollars a week teaching yoga and um and I had friends who were getting uh Income properties for you know, one amount and then selling them uh, three months later for $100,000 more. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. So I linked up with this realtor who was a friend of a friend. And, um, and he got me on the hook for three income properties, which were, which he, it was just, it wasn't a great deal. Um, it was about $2 million worth, and, worth of properties. His, his thinking was that I would buy it with no money down and then hold it for three or four months and then sell it, just like everyone else had been doing. But now we're in 2006, 2007.
0: So it's the end and, of this uh, trend. It was, the
1: end, it was the end of the trend. And I remember oh. sitting at the table with all the paperwork. And my, something inside of me was just saying, whatever you do, do not sign a thing. This is not your path, <laughs> but <laughs> my mind, my mind was like, well, "Shut up, you!" <laughs> yeah, I got to make that hundred thousand. I was thinking about all the. I was going to become a mogul, right? I was. This is going to be my chance to become financially secure and blah blah blah. So I, I, I went against my intuition and I signed this thing, thinking primarily about the money that I was going to be making as a result. And, um, and then about a month after that, everything came crashing down and I ended up having to hold on to those properties for another couple of years, two or three years, and then short selling them and then getting, you know, almost having to file for bankruptcy. And it just took, it was a very long road to get out of that. But that, that was also, it was very, um, it was a very useful experience because I learned never, ever. Ever to do that again. Never go against my intuition. Never do something just for the money. And ever since then, it's been. I've been off- offered all kinds of opportunities, you know, for money, and so I have no problem turning it down because I now have my PhD in what that does and what that feels like. And so I, I really, you know, even though it was a challenging moment, it was instructive, and I think. You know if we have a learning mindset you there's no waste of time moments that we can ever find ourselves in, right We can always learn, we can teach others about these things and and so I you know I write a lot about that now and I write from deep experience with it why it's important to follow your heart and not do things just for money or for status or for recognition um, and so I think I think I'm a better everything for as a result of it
0: all right hello look up listeners one final note before we go thank you again for tuning in going forward we'll be releasing new episodes of look up every wednesday morning eastern time If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, There are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media. My handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N, or you can subscribe to the Look Up Weekly newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to marc at thelookuppodcast.com. Finally, for those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions, which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in, and I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have.